This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Tuesday, August the 16th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, Deborah Koblick explains why advocacy groups in Ontario are calling on the provincial government to increase disabuse which burgers are more environmentally friendly to consume at your next barbecue. Community reporter J.R. Bjornsson shares his experience using the Link, excuse me, the Lyric Q assistive text-to-speech reader. In the second hour of the show, Slack's messaging platform has new accessibility updates. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech will give you those details. Then we wrap up the show with another edition of our weekly news quiz. Karen McGee, Mark Phoenix, and I being put to the test by the returning Mike Ross. Very happy to have Mike in the mix, and you'll hear from him in a couple of minutes. But let's get to our top story of the day. Statistics Canada is out with their inflation data this morning. There was an 0.5% month-over-month decline in inflation in July. However, the annual rate remains at 7.6%. We'll talk about this more with Mike during the big business story of the day. And we'll have a poll question in a few minutes as well. But while we're talking about money, Quebec's Auditor General says the province's public finances are in order ahead of the fall election. But she warns that nothing can be taken for granted for the years to come because of economic uncertainty. Guylaine Leclerc says the financial forecast provided to her by the Quebec government will allow all political parties to base their electoral platforms on accurate information. Based on what we have uh, examined, the pre-electoral report is plausible and is a good uh, start for each party to uh, prepare their their, uh, electoral platform. Leclerc points out that inflation has had a temporary positive impact on government finances due to higher-than-expected tax revenues. And while we're talking about inflation and the economy, let's look south of the border where U.S. President Joe Biden is expected to sign the Inflation Reduction Act later today. Andy Field reports the bill almost did not happen because of a few reluctant party members in the U.S. Senate. The president spent nearly two years trying to pass his Build Back Better bill and compromised with a stripped-down Inflation Reduction Act, act with climate, health care, and tax laws. The president will sign the law, pass through reconciliation by only Democrats, and then spend much of the rest of August traveling to two dozen cities, promoting that law, the infrastructure, gun control, and computer chip bills, to help Democrats win the midterms. President Biden is also expected to sign a climate change and health care bill later today. Let's come back to Canada, where two Nova Scotia RCMP officials behind allegations of political interference in their investigation into the April 2020 mass shooting are in front of a House of Commons committee today. Chief Superintendent Darren Campbell and Leah Scanlon say Commissioner Brenda Lucky was being pressured by the Public Safety Minister. Sarah Ritchie looks ahead. It was Darren Campbell's handwritten notes from an April 28, 2020 meeting that kicked off a parliamentary investigation into possible political meddling in the shooting spree investigation. Campbell wrote that Commissioner Brenda Lucky was angry with Nova Scotia RCMP that day because they didn't release details about the makes and models of the gunman's weapons in a press conference. He said that would have jeopardized the investigation, but says Lucky told him she made a promise to the minister. The Public Safety Committee heard from Lucky and former Public Safety Minister Bill Blair last month, both deny there was any interference or pressure. Sarah Ritchie, the Canadian Press, Ottawa. 
I've got some COVID-related stories for you, beginning over in Britain, where British drug regulators have become the first in the world to authorize an updated version of Moderna's COVID vaccine that includes protection against Omicron variants. Darius Hughes with Moderna UK says science is working to adapt to the many mutations of the virus. It's a very busy virus. It's been mutating uh, since its inception. And what this vaccine helps to do is it gives us another uh, piece of armory, really, another tool in the box. British regulators said the side effects were similar to those seen in Moderna's original booster shots and were typically mild. Now, I haven't done this for you in a bit, but here are some COVID numbers in Canada. There are currently 4,872 people in hospital with COVID-19. There have been 208 deaths related to COVID in the last week. Since the beginning of the pandemic, 42,901 people have died in Canada. And let's wrap up our news stories here with some information in regards to climate. The drought affecting the Colorado River is prompting federal officials to call for further cutbacks on water usage. Donna Warder has more. The Colorado River provides water to 40 million people in seven states, including Arizona, California and Colorado, as well as Mexico. But drought and climate change have left less water flowing through the river and depleted reservoirs. State water officials are expecting federal officials to tell them that the Lake Mead Reservoir on the Nevada-Arizona border will likely shrink to dangerously low levels that could disrupt water delivery and hydropower production. The states already are trying to cut their water usage by a federally mandated 15%. I'm Donna Water. Let's get to our daily polls. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday we asked you, do insects like bees and wasps and mosquitoes dissuade you from eating or drinking outside? 82% of you said yes. 18% of you said no. So a reasonable fear of bugs amongst the listeners and viewers. So you're in good company. Today's daily poll. At AMI-audio on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. I gave you the inflation numbers right off the top of the show. Inflation has gone down month over month. How did your monthly expenses change last month? They went up, they stayed the same, they went down. Of course, we know inflation is macro data that can be uh, influenced by many, many different things. It can be regionally involved, can be involved whether or not you're a fuel user, a gas user, etc. So I'm curious whether or not you noticed that change. I would say my monthly expenses, a lot of which are stable, remained stable. But uh, that grocery store bill continues to uh, shoot itself up whenever it wants to, despite the fact that I'm always looking for value in sales. So I would say even though the core number went down, my expenses continued to go up on a month-over-month basis. What about you, Grace Scofield? I Everything that usually stays the same, hydro, whatever, all in the same range, stayed the same place. But as you said, the grocery bill was the biggest problem. I called my mom and I was like, look at how much money I just spent on groceries. I'm so not happy right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yesterday I went out grocery shopping and I used coupons and deals for literally everything I bought. And I still didn't get my grocery bill down to what it was when I moved here in 2020. So it's still up. It's still higher, even with a bunch of sales, even spreading it out across multiple different grocery stores to try and get the best deals that I could. Wow. I still couldn't get my grocery bill down to what it used to be. So even being frugal and hustling didn't help. No, 
didn't help at all. There was still a significant increase in the amount of money that I spent per week on food for the past yeah. little while. Yeah, like I said, it's the difference between macro and micro data, right? That a lot of macro data may reflect in general some of these prices are going down from wholesale, wholesale, wholesale wow, I'm really good at talking, wholesale prices vis-a-vis maybe what we're experiencing on the ground. And sometimes the change is going to be a very slow trickle into the, re- into the retail level. There's also just the fact that oftentimes once prices go up, they don't really come back down. Once exactly. Once that Overton window has been shifted and the store realizes they can charge you this for that, they are unlikely to change their macro data. Grace, thank you for this. Of course. Let's welcome back into the show Mike Ross with his glorious return. Mike, hope you enjoyed some time off. And I know I'm stepping on the toes of your big business story here a little bit, but how did you find your monthly expenses were impacted uh, even with this macro data coming out this morning? Well, I I think generally um, the, the, the... the data that comes out is not necessarily wrong based on a lot of our personal experiences, because if you look at things like gas, for example, you know, one day it was a dollar 75 and the next day it's a dollar 59 and then it's up to one sixty four. So I, I think everyone's personal experience probably does not match up with these stats. And, And as Grace was talking about with groceries, for example, I didn't see at the grocery store, (laughs) excuse me, a big drop in the price of my groceries. In fact, I've I've been about through the last six months at about the same amount now. And now it's about a $50 a week increase from what it was maybe a year to a year and a half ago. But we also spent a little bit more on groceries because we were going, we're going, it's summertime. So we're going to our local farm more often and their, and their kiosk uh, at the farm and buying stuff there. And that, you know, a lot of stuff has gone up. I mean, you want to buy a watermelon? If you shop around really hard, you might find a, a good deal, maybe a 5 or $6 watermelon. But in many places, including at the farm, you're buying a very small watermelon for like $10. Yeah, yeah. Um, tomatoes are more expensive. I, I also noticed that, they, that the shrinkflation is even happening at the farmer's market. So, for example, we buy uh, peanuts, and that bag is just a bit smaller than it's been in recent years. Now, the price hasn't changed, but the amount that you're getting has. So yeah. it's not just about paying less, but it's also about getting less for what you pay for. Yeah, and there's also bigger structural stuff going on. There was reports that came out yesterday that Corinne Van Dusen had in the regional news update about a month year-over-year rental increases. Our rental prices in Ontario going up 15% year-over-year, a little bit higher in British Columbia. So even when we're talking about these lowing or slowing, I'm going to call it decreasing inflation rates, it doesn't necessarily truly reflect what people may be experiencing with 15%, 20% increases in rental. And of course, I mean, let's not even get started on housing because we'll be here all day. But uh, but yeah, definitely the, uh, the some of the structural prices that are built in are still very, very high, regardless of maybe a bit of a drop month over month and largely driven by gas prices. Mike, we got to get out of here, but we'll talk more about this with you in a couple of minutes but let's go back to folks if you want to vote on this poll at ami audio on twitter accessible media inc on facebook and head over to grace scofield for the national weather updates thanks dave here's your ami national weather report from environment canada we start off in st john's newfoundland where it's mainly cloudy with a 60 percent chance of showers or drizzle this morning and a high of 18 degrees 
In Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's cloudy today with a high of 24 degrees with a significant weather, significant rainfall statement in effect for tonight and tomorrow. In Montreal, a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 28 degrees. In Ottawa, it's sunny today with a high of 27 degrees. Today in Toronto, it's sunny this morning with a mix of sun and cloud, then 30% chance of showers throughout the afternoon, with a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon as well, and a high of 28 degrees. In Thunder Bay, it's sunny today with a high of 23. Over in Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy with 60% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 24 degrees. In Saskatoon, it's mainly sunny with a high of 33 degrees. In Calgary, Alberta, it's sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers late this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon as well. There's also a heat warning in effect for Calgary with a high of 31 degrees. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with 30% showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon as well, with a high of 25 degrees. Up in Yellowknife, a mix of sun and cloud today, with a high of 26 degrees. In Vancouver, BC, it's going to clear up early this morning, with a high of 25 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, it's sunny today, with a high of 25 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, Devorah Kolblik explains why advocacy groups in Ontario are calling on the provincial government to increase disability support. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Last week, the Ontario government's throne speech included a promise to increase the Ontario Disability Support Program by 5%. One of more than 230 groups that have been urging the government to raise ODSP rates was the Income Security Advocacy Centre. Devorah Koblick is the Senior Policy Analyst for the Advocacy Centre and joins us now. Hey, Devorah, thank you very much for making time to be with us today. We're grateful. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me. So let's just start with the simple question. What was your reaction to this announcement or this promise in the throne speech last week? Um, I think it was a government province or a, a election province promise. So we knew it was coming. Um, but as you can see from our open letter, it's it's simply not enough. So in that open letter, what were you calling for? So we were calling for both uh, Ontario Works rates and OW ra- ODSP rates to be raised, but also to double the rates so that people can have enough money to survive and meet their basic needs. When we're talking about doubling the rate, what would that look like for the average person on ODSP or Ontario Works? So if we look for someone on ODSP, it would bring them 22, uh, 2022 estimates for Toronto's market basket measure, which is um, the measure of poverty line. That would, if we doubled the rates for ODSP, that would bring them just over the poverty line. So that tells you how low the rates are right now. People are living 
uh, well below the poverty line in what we call deep poverty. And um, if, if they doubled it, it would just bring them above the poverty line. Uh, for OW rates, it would bring them just about 20,000. So they'd still be about 8,000 down from, from the poverty line. And again, those are Toronto figures. What's the landscape been like for the last decade or so, or even more precisely the last five years when it comes to increasing these rates for individuals as the cost of living continues to go up? Uh, it's been pretty bleak, actually, since the 90s. Um, you know, we see 1% increases from time to time, 2%. Um, but because the rates aren't pegged to inflation, they're not keeping up with the cost of living. Uh, the real value of those rates are going down. It's becoming uh, exacerbated right now. I was listening to your segment before talking about the rising costs of groceries and housing. Um, so they're, they're simply not keeping up and there hasn't been a significant commitment to raising the incomes of people on social assistance for, for really, this is a three decade problem that we've mm. got right now. Mm. What kind of conversations do organizations like yours end up having with either bureaucrats or even government representatives uh, in regards to trying to tackle this issue? So I think whenever we uh, engage in advocacy, we we really talk about how um, you know people deserve to live with dignity. That it is becoming virtually impossible uh, for people on ODS on OW who are at seven hundred and thirty three dollars. It is virtually impossible to survive, um, to pay for food, to pay for housing, to pay for medical supplies, to pay for transport. Um, for people on ODSP who have slightly higher rates, we have to remember that that is to take account for the extra cost of living with disability. And they're still having a very tough time. And we've heard this during the pandemic, um, right from the beginning in March 2020. So we we talk to bureaucrats and when we advocate, we say, look, this is the situation people are in. You really do have to raise these rates so that people can achieve uh, some level of basic stability and and survive it's really becoming a matter of survival at this point yeah it's, it's something that that i think about as as even someone who has a disability who has some some privilege here having having a decent sure. job I, I i still have to re- rely on the fact that i have to live in big city cores right like like there's a yeah. lot of people either on ow or on odsp who need to live in big city cores just to access services they need so so it's almost as if that's get, that gets totally left out of the conversation in regards to the social needs of people with disabilities or on ow well and i that example that you've just given reminds me of an example where someone said uh, that they couldn't afford the transit to get to the food bank. That was how like bleak their situation was because the food bank was so far from where they were. So people are either not able to access services because they're not in their environment or they they've had to like this is this is exactly the transport that I'm talking about is is one of the core issues mm, for mm. for people. Yeah, even like 325 for a for a bus ticket in Toronto or it's, I think it's up to almost 375 or 4 dollars for a bus trip in the Ottawa area. That's that's a lot that that's a lot of money for a one-way trip. That and that can that can take a huge chunk out of out of people's uh, income and earnings. Uh, I I'm I'm curious here and and I apologize if this goes out of the scope of your research or advocacy. But what mm. are some of the bigger impacts that happen here when you're putting people in such desperate economic situations? Well, um, I think we can say disability, you know, people who have disabilities have higher rates of poverty in this country, double the rate, in fact. Um, And so we say, you know, disability uh, can cause poverty and it doesn't have to, right? But also poverty can create disability. So this is um, people who are living at these really... uh, 
low incomes for, for years at a time, you see their lives become smaller. They can't contribute to their communities in the ways that they would like to. They can't participate in their communities the way they would like to. Um, they are living, I hear often people who are living off one meal a day, and it's not necessarily a very good meal. Um, they're going to have increased health concerns with that. Um, they can't plan for the future. Uh, the people with disabilities that I work with are all um, incredibly, you know, unique, talented, contributing, uh, creative people who have a lot to offer, but when they're living in destitution, uh, they can't actually fully participate in their society. And I think like we all lose out from that, but it's also just um, a very undignified life for them. They're not, they're not, you know, at the max of where they would like to be. Coming back to your call to double the number of, of what people are receiving in monthly assistance, where do we go from here and how can people become better allies and better advocates in regards to trying to create better economic certainty for people on OW and ODSP? So I think um, people need to realize that um, putting people in destitution is not benefiting anyone. Uh, this means that people are forced to use um, more services, you know, food banks, shelters. This is all kind of temporary. When you're when you're living in a food bank or a shelter, that's not that's not a, a, a stable lifestyle. So it's in everybody's best interest to advocate to their government, um, to their MPPs, to their local officials, um, to then also pressure the the provincial government to raise the rates so that people can become more autonomous uh, and remain autonomous. I think just looking at the numbers, we know that during the pandemic, the government has saved 814 million due to reduced caseloads. So they have some maneuverability to raise these rates. Um, on top of that, uh, the 2022-23 first quarter fiscal update that was released the same day as the budget uh, when it was reintroduced showed 1.2 billion in extra and unexpected revenue since April from taxation. So the government has over $2 billion right now to play with. And we are asking that some of that go to raising these rates so that people can achieve stability. And I think, um, you know, we really need to remember that this pandemic has hit people on social assistance very hard. They did not have a buffer to weather the storm. Uh, they don't have savings. When free services got, were closed, um, they were the ones who relied on those services and were to hit the hardest. And they are also without rate, major rate increases because remember since 2018, when the rates were frozen, inflation has gone up by 11%. Mm. So that 5% is going to get eaten up very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, you know, we all understand the pinch at the grocery store, but imagine doing it living in deep poverty. So if everybody could kind of reach out to their, officials and say, you know, you have the maneuverability. It'd be, it would be great that we, I want a society where we support our most vulnerable. Uh, I think that would be of assistance. I, I apologize if I'm broadening the scope again, but, but where might something like a guaranteed basic income uh, play, into, play into this beyond sort of just simply saying that it's an ODSP or OW problem, where might that fit in as a policy plank? So basic income has been something that has been, um, you know, in, in the public for a while. Uh, I think it was definitely put on the table with the Ontario Basic Income Pilot. Um, it's a complex policy. And I think what we need to remember about, about basic income is if we had it tomorrow, 
let's say the government said we're doing a basic income, there would still be a lot left to figure out in terms of design. Mm, so mm. we all need to kind of think about what basic income, there's different versions of the basic income. Um, how would it interact with social assistance? Mm-hmm. It, it wouldn't change quickly in a day, right? Right. So I think um, we also have to consider would people with precarious immigration status be have access to it? Um, would there be a top-up for people with disabilities? There was partial uh, a small top-up during the Ontario Basic Income Pilot. How would Indigenous people who are both on and off reserve, um, would they receive a, a larger basic income uh, amount because of the conditions um, that that Indigenous people live on, live on reserve with really poor housing and sometimes not access to water, as we know. So there's a lot of questions to answer with basic income uh, that would have to kind of be traced out. Um, and I think that's just something that we would need to remember with it. Uh, Devorah, before we let you go, where should people go to learn more about the work that you and your colleagues at the Income Security Advocacy Centre do? Uh, they can go to our website at incomesecurity.org. Um, there you'll see some of our advocacy with provincial budget submissions and uh, the open letter and our response to the reintroduced budget last week. Devora, thank you so much for making time to be with us today. We're grateful. Thank you so much for having me. That's Devora Koblick the Senior Policy Analyst for the Income Security Advocacy Centre, speaking to us from Toronto. Coming up next, environmental contributor Lawrence Gunther will discuss which burgers are more environmentally friendly to consume at your next barbecue. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Emily Javesky with your Morning Business Minute. North American markets closed in positive territory Monday in spite of falling crude oil prices. The S&P TSX Composite Index was up 79 points at 20,181. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed up 151 points at 33,912. The Nasdaq closed up about 81 points at 13,128. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei is down 2.87 points to 28,869. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index, just ahead of close, was down 278 points at 19,763. And our dollars trading overseas this morning at 77.39 cents US, compared with 77.47 cents yesterday afternoon. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Jovesky. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. You've surely noticed there are many meat alternatives out there. And I'm not just talking about plant-based kind of stuff. There's all sorts of meat alternatives out there that are made in a lab. So joining us now to tell you more about the environmental impact that can occur when you're consuming some of these meat alternatives is Lawrence Gunther, the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can find Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hi, Dave. So, Lawrence, let's give a little bit of context here because you came across some analysis from the NGO Sierra Club, and they did a comparison of the greenhouse gas emissions and land and water footprints of some different burger choices. So walk us through some of these findings. Are plant-based burgers more sustainable and should we be switching away from beef? 
Well, they're sold like that, right? That's what we're told, you know, plant-based. We always think of the original plant-based patties that were around 10, 20 years ago, you know, full of beans and rice and chopped up nuts and frankly, not that yummy tasting, right? But these new ones, Dave, these new ones taste, you, if someone didn't tell you it was a, a, an all sort of plant-based patty and hand you a burger all dressed up the way you wanted to, you might not even notice it. it's not beef. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're that good. They're that yummy. Yeah, some of them even uh, have like simulated uh, like blood to make you feel oh, like yeah. you're really tearing into a into a medium <laughs> rare burger on the way. So Lawrence, so let, let's back up for a second here. People oftentimes talk about the environmental impact of farming beef. What does mm. that impact look like? It looks like a lot of, uh, you know, CO2 emissions, right? You know, if we talk about the United States, like the Sierra Club has made, they released this report for the United States. They're talking about Americans eating 50 billion, with a B, burgers a year. So, you know, we're one-tenth the size. So maybe we eat 5 billion burgers a year. That's a lot of burgers, right? Mm -hmm. In the United States, they say that accounts for about 3.7% of their CO2 equivalent uh, output every year, 3.7% of the, of the CO2 gas going into the atmosphere, causing climate change. And they say it's equivalent because most of it is methane. When you're talking about beef, Dave, it's methane, right? And, and, uh, you know, cows eat grass, they digest, they, uh, expel things. And methane is, has a 10 times higher sort of climate change sort of impact than CO2 gas does. It only sticks around for about 10 years, but still that's a, that's a huge amount of, uh, uh, you know, 3.7% is it's a lot. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's come back to these alternatives. What does Hmm. the analysis suggest in regards to the environmental impact of these alternatives? Well, you're plant, you're planting a lot of products into the ground. So you're still having to plant the, 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 the peas or, you know, whatever it is you're using to make your alternative beef patties, your plant-based beef patties. So there's, there's the gas to fuel the tractors to, to do the planting. There's the, the fuel to, you know, for the harvesting and then there's the processing because this is not made in your kitchen these are made in large industrial type settings the process is quite intensive like if i took at the uh the beyond burger dave pea protein is one thing that's a big one right the yellow peas that's the majority of the beyond burger coconut oil so where do you get your coconut oil you have to bring that into the factory and that's not grown in canada Potato starch, well, you bring that in from wherever you're growing that. And beet juice, right? So you have to have these four different products brought together into a factory to produce the, uh, the Beyond Beef. The, um, the Impossible Burger, it, it uses heme from soybean. But that heme is fused with a, a genetically engineered sort of um, a yeast monoculture. Like what's a yeast monoculture? <laughs> and it, to form that yeast monoculture, you're talking a, an indu- heavy-duty industrial process to that's using that's using actual fuel, right? It's using sort of oil to make that process happen. So there's a lot of things going on here. And then there's the whole health impacts. You know, this this is a highly processed food, like a potato chip. It's highly processed food. There's a lot of salt in there. There's a lot of calories in there. So if you think you're going to, you know, it's better, it's healthier for you in terms of your, 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 
blood pressure, your calories, your weight, you're fooling yourself. If you're eating these burgers thinking you're doing a healthy alternative, you are making a better contribution to the planet overall in terms of the average burger versus the average plant-based burger. Yeah, it's better for the planet. Is it better for you as a, a, from a health perspective? Probably not. So Lawrence, I want to pick up on your second to last point there. In the aggregate, because you mentioned a lot of stuff there in regards to the, the actual agricultural processes here, the lab mm. processes, the production here. In the aggregate, though, these meatless alternatives are still, as promised, to be better for the environment. If you compare it to sort of some of the cattle uh, raising processes that happen where you have a bunch of cattle in a, in a barn and they're being fed a lot of um, high-energy food to grow fast, but if you look at the way cattle are grown in Canada, you know, most cattle is free range. You know, it's just roaming around on the grass. And, um, and, and when they eat grass, they're eating grass, they're pooping out stuff that goes back into the ground. They're actually sequestering carbon back into the soil. Like that whole process, that whole, you know, cycle of life, right, is sequestering carbon back into the soil. So it's, it's, it's almost a zero sort of some gain process, except for the methane gas, but from a carbon sequestration process, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty inane innocuous. So it's, it's not a bad process for sure, but that's Canada. If you look at Brazil, it's all free range grass fed cattle as well, but they burned down, you know, rainforest to make those yeah. pastures. Yeah. So the de it's, the it's, deforestation definitely matters. Yeah, and all this, all the smoke that goes into the atmosphere, and all this carbon that's released when you burn down these trees—that's a big negative thing, and that, that's going to take centuries to overcome that big, you know, burst of CO2 in the atmosphere. So, and, and even if the cattle in Canada, you know, in the end, spent a couple of weeks in a in a pen being fattened up with corn and grains and things like that to give it that marbly, juicy flavor, because if you think about cattle on the on the range. They're roaming around all the time. They're lean, mean, grass-eating machines. They're not fat, right? They're not fat. They're, it's just pure muscle. Mm -hmm. So you got to get them in. You got to fatten them up a little bit because eating just pure uh, beef with no fat, it doesn't have a lot of flavor. In fact, it tastes a little bit gamey. It tastes wild. And, and a lot of people aren't used to that wild game grass-fed taste. So you need to fatten them up a little bit to give them that sort of more neutral, bland, yummy flavor that we've come to expect in our, in our beef. So, Lawrence, let's wrap up here on a little bit of a, a mm. personal question or personal thought. I don't eat a ton of red meat. I don't really care if I'm eating a meatless alternative or a meat burger. It's, it's all kind of the same to me as long as there's mayonnaise and pickles in the mix. Um, what about you? Do you, uh, do you end up making some choices here based on the, ag the aggregate environmental impact? I do, Dave. And like, I, I, you know, I have a nice grill on my backyard. I, you know, I love to cook outside. I have all the tools and, you know, things to do that. But I, I don't cook a lot of red meat. And I, I haven't for a number of years now for health purposes and because of ecological purposes. I think there's better choices you can make in terms of what you eat. We should all be eating more plant-based foods, you know, and, and not highly processed ones like these beef alternative burgers necessarily because they're not better for us. So yeah, just, 
buy vegetables. It's more expensive. Buy other meat processed. Eat more fish, Dave. That's mm. the, that's the key. That's the best fat for you. And if you can get sustainably raised or caught fish, wild or not, but sustainable, it, it's much better for your diet. So if you could eat fish once or twice a week, red meat once a week, not like we used to when we were kids growing eating up. Eating steak you know, every day. Eating, eating yeah, like uh, eating pot roast and McDonald's every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's the thing we got to get away from. Yeah, you got to follow the Lawrence Gunther method, which is catch your own fish. Then you're really then you're really getting somewhere. <laughs> then you're really moving in the right direction. Actually, Lawrence, oh, yeah. not, not not to produce the show in real time on air, but there was some very encouraging data coming out about uh, salmon stocks in BC last week. So maybe uh, down the yeah. road we should take a closer look at some of that data. You're I'm on it, buddy. Love it, love it. Hey, what's coming up on uh, the next episode of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther? Well, you know, speaking of catching salmon, I've got a live uh, right now. If you listen to the uh, program, you can. I'm out on Lake Ontario with some uh, charter folks, uh, uh, Debbie and Jean, uh, charter captains, and uh, we're catching salmon on Lake Ontario. And I'm right on to eat. Yeah. So uh, that, and then we we look at that whole Lake Ontario thing, and 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 then Lily takes us out to Snake Island, which is one of the islands at the uh, east end of Lake Ontario. It's, they're called the ducks, but they're fully inhabited by snakes. Ah, so, lovely. Yeah. Okay. Well, you and enjoy. Then, and then next week, next week we got. I talked to Bruce Cook. He's got that TV show by Hook or by. Uh, yeah, by Hook or by Cook. Yep. So I thought it was about fishing, but. No, I'm kidding. I, I knew he's not about fish. <laughs> he is an outdoors adventurer, though, so he's your kind of guy. He's he's a Lawrence he, Gunther kind of guy. Season two, he 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 spent the whole season uh, renovating a lodge in the outdoors to make it more accessible. And yeah. I said, well, what's that all about, man? So we we got into that. Yeah, really. So that's coming up. Really enjoyed the second season of that show. It was a really great concept. I love it when there's sort of a, a a connecting thread, connecting tissue that sort of speaks to a project for the whole season round. It was really really cool. Hey, Lawrence, always fun catching up. Thank you for bringing us these topics, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. We'll talk more salmon, Dave. We'll talk some salmon with Lawrence Gunther. He's the out, he's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can find Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio or download the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. You can find Mike Ross right here with the big business story of the day. So, Mike, we stole the thunder on this one a little bit off the top of the show, but the inflation numbers did indeed come out this morning. Well, you didn't steal anything. There's lots of thunder uh, bouncing around <laughs> on this story, so lots to share. Um, yeah, Stats Canada says that the year-over-year inflation rate slowed to 7.6% in July, as economists widely expected the pace of price increases to slow that month. The inflation rate, of course, back in June hit a 40-year high, or nearly a 40-year high of uh, 8.1%. But since then, gas prices are the, the, the big thing that sort of shifted the inflation rate. Uh, in the latest Consumer Price Index report, the uh, rises in prices in July for gasoline marked the smallest, um, um, uh, rather, sorry, the, the latest numbers say that the uh, rise in prices in July marked the smallest monthly gains since December 2021. So we've been hearing about this for a long time, about how prices are going up, and we've been feeling that pinch. We've been talking about it here on the show. Oh, yeah. Gas prices did, in fact, decline. 
but food prices rose at the fastest pace since August of 1981, prices up by almost 10% year over year. So, you know, as you were having your conversation earlier on in the show uh, with Devorah, um, you know, you, you talk about increases in prices and some things decrease, but the one thing that we all need most of all is food. Yep. Food and, and shelter. When, when, food and shelter. The, yep. When that price goes up, um, you know, I, I really don't uh, think about the price of gas when I'm looking at the price of putting food on the table. And so, yeah, there is some good news here. Uh, overall, it's, it's, it's a nice overall, uh, news story, but there's still some concerning numbers there and numbers that are going to jump off the page for a lot of people. And there are certain parts of the country that are certainly feeling it a lot more than than others so uh prince edward island 9.5 percent inflation uh for the month that's down from 10.9 but they still lead the country uh the lowest uh, province uh hit was newfoundland and labrador 6.9 percent mm. uh, down from 8.2 percent so uh this this is a, a, a problem that goes really coast to coast but certainly is feeling uh or is felt rather yeah a little differently yeah. by every region absolutely mike Thank you for diving a bit deeper into those numbers. We appreciate it. You got it, Dave. That's Mike Ross with the big business story of the day. He'll be back with the regional news update in about 20 minutes time. But coming up next, community reporter Jared Bjornsson will describe his experience using the Lyric Q assistive text-to-speech reader. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head out to Red Deer, Alberta to catch up with community reporter J.R. Bjornsson. Hey, good morning, J.R. How are you, sir? Good morning, Dave. As always, I am doing really good. And, and apparently, according to one of our producers, I am looking very tan, which, oh, wow. you know, it, it's great because uh, my sister called me out on my tanness yesterday. <laughs> and, you know, when someone calls you out on how tan you are, you, you, you don't believe it the first time. But then when the second person tells you how tan you are, you're like, wow, I got to. I'm loving this. Clearly, I'm getting my vitamin D. So that's You've good. You've been spend, be... spending time on the beach or in the tanning bed? Uh, just, just my backyard because <laughs> the seasons are changing. My wife is saying you can feel the cold air coming in. So it's like any day now that winter will come. <laughs> Get it in while you can, AJR. Eh, exactly, that makes sense yeah. to me. Hey, listen, maybe you've been doing some reading outside because you recently invested mm-hmm. in a new reading device, the Lyric Q assistive text-to-speech reader. How's it been working for you and what drew you to it? So it all started when I logged into YouTube, as most of my purchases do. And uh, my good buddy from The Blind Life, Mr. Sam CV, we've been good friends now for about 11 years or so, thanks to YouTube. He reviewed the lyric, and I I showed it to my wife, and I said, I want this. I want this. I'll never be able to afford the $5,000 or can be my eye. This is the next best thing I want to read. You see, we do have the technology to read. If you're blind or visually impaired, you can download some OCR apps. They're about $14, $15 from the iOS App Store and Android, uh, Mark uh, the Google Play. Or you could also do what I did and spend about $2,300 on a Lyric, which uh, allows you to uh, scan books. It will scan a page. It will read it to you. You have two voices. Both of them actually almost sound like Siri. One's a high pitch, one's a deep pitch. 
And uh, yeah, so I read about 300 pages in the first six days. The first book I read was called Mind Hacking Happiness by Sean Webb or Sean Lecombe. I can't remember the author's name, but he teaches you about how to uh, back up whenever you're having uh, too much things going on in your life or maybe you're having a tense moment with yourself. He teaches you how to unlock the power of the mind by accessing the uh, room of the mind and you can start talking to, to yourself in like second person, like, why is the Dave worried right now? How can we help the Dave? Because at the end of the day, it all comes back to your ego. We all have ego. And if we can learn to step away from our ego, it makes it a whole lot better. How do we make the Dave happy? Typically give him cheese. That typically, that typically <laughs> solves the problems. Uh, JR, not to be too crass about this, but how does it feel to have the freedom to just grab any book you like and do that kind of scanning versus having to uh, jump into an app and start looking for audiobooks? It feels great. It feels very, I feel more independent. The battery is 15 hours of reading. I spend about an hour a day. I can get through about, I think, 45, 50 pages in an hour. And it's just like the scanning actually only takes virtually like two seconds. You scan it and then it will read it. And then if you want it to read again, maybe it missed a few lines and you think to yourself, well, that doesn't sound right. You can scan it again and then it will read it again and hopefully get the two lines. It's got a play pause. You can set up buttons to remember each page. You can even uh, save a bunch of documents on a thumb drive and look at them at a later date. Oh, nice. Wow. Really cool, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad you've had a chance to experiment and the experiment is going really well. But we can't just spend all day sitting around reading, JR. Sometimes we've got to get our steps in. And thankfully, the Alberta Sports and Recreation, Recreation Association for the Blind, they're continuing to offer their walking club for folks. What's going on in Calgary with ASRAB? Definitely. Yeah, the Alberta Sports Recreation for the Blind. They actually just launched uh, goalball here in Red Deer last weekend. I couldn't make it to that one. But uh, if you can't do goalball, you can always do the walking club. The walking club in Calgary is just that. It's a club for people like you and I, Dave, who have vision loss, who want to get together with other people who have vision loss. And we go for a bunch of lovely walks throughout Calgary's amazing trails. And I've been talking about this off and on. And I I love it so much because uh, I think when you're visually impaired, you do feel alone. For the longest time, I didn't know anyone else who was visually impaired. And then I started getting involved in ASRAP and AMI. And now there's a whole community of us. And we all get to come together for the walking club in Calgary every Sunday, 2 p.m. Now, if you want to be a part of it, Dave, all you got to do is uh, sign up through ASRAP. Get yourself an Alberta Sports Recreation uh, membership and uh, sign up. And that membership will cover not just the walks, but also other sports, yoga, things like that, that ASRAP puts on? ASRAB.ab.ca. ASRAB.ab.ca. That's the uh, website for folks to find out a little bit more. And again, uh, get that process rolling, get some of those fun walks going on in beautiful Calgary, Alberta. Hey, JR, what about something different than simply just doing some walking? What about some yoga sessions that are being offered in Capstone? That's the area around Red Deer. What can folks expect from that? Yeah, Capstone. It's also uh, coming. It's also known as the Alberta, uh, the Alberta, the Canada 150 square. Pardon me. And uh, it's a fairly new piece of land in the middle of Red Deer. The goal for that land is to have condos in the next 50 years. It's right beside Bower Pond. <laughs> as, as, like, is, as is so the point cool. of all, as is the point of all land in Canada. Just put some condos yeah, there. Exactly. Right. <laughs> So what they've been doing is to promote that land, they've been doing all sorts of things like, uh, you know, uh, the Pride in the Park, which I was a part of. I was a stand-up comedian for. And there's always stuff going on at Canada 150 inside Capstone. But every Tuesday, there's yoga 
in Capstone. You can do yoga. You bring a mat, a bottle of water. You're relaxing energy, and it's all for all ages. No experience required. Tuesdays at uh, 7 p.m. all summer long, and you get to do some yoga beside the Red Deer River. And uh, weather here has been in 28, 30 degrees Celsius. That's why by two, by the evening, it drops down to about 20, and it's beautiful. Now, if there is inclement weather, weather decides to act up, you know, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, as we say in Alberta. If it rains, then you can take it, uh, the yoga that is, <laughs> into their studio over at uh, Love Grace. Mm. Have you uh, messed around with yoga at all, JR? Have you, have you given it a crack? Uh, yeah, a few times actually. Uh, with my wife, she does something called Yoga with Adrian, which Adrian has over 11.5 million subscribers on YouTube. She is the yoga master, and every January she has her challenge. So I did a little bit with my wife, but I think by the 10 minute mark, I just realized how out of shape I am. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, just, I watched her more or less, and I'll say, I'll get to it one day. Yeah. I'll get to it one day. Yeah, it's a reminder that there are glamour muscles and there are real <laughs> muscles. And uh, for some of the uh, weightlifting gym rats, some of those muscles are a little more glamorous than functional because the yoga folks can uh, put us to shame with some of that core strength. Hey, JR, a bit of uh, sad news to pass along here. I know, I know that you're about to enter the next chapter here of what's going on for you, but this is going to be your last official appearance on Now with Dave Brown as a community reporter. That doesn't mean you're going away completely from the TV world or the AMI family. But man, oh man, it is sad to say goodbye to you. We've always really enjoyed having you on the show, sharing a lot of your sense of humor and your experiences, buddy. We're going to miss you, but what's coming down the pipeline here for J.R. Bjornson? Absolutely. Well, you can always catch me on YouTube, capital J period, capital R period, Bjornson, on YouTube, where I bring you along daily. I do what's called daily vlogs. So if you want more JR in your life, perhaps too much, you can check me out there. But Dave, uh, coming up in October, I will be starting uh, filming for my new TV show that uh, me and my friend Nick Thielen managed to sell. And now we're getting development funding eventually here. And uh, the concept of the TV show, I, w I can say, is we're going to interview various comedians with disabilities, some without disability. We're going to ask them how do they get their inspiration. And uh, I, it's a great excuse to travel across Canada. I'm going to be a producer and one of the main stars of the show because at the end of the day, me and Nick want to become comedian famous but we also want to uplift everybody it's going to be an uplifting show it's going to convince you to get off the couch make something of your life but it's not going to make you feel bad if you don't do anything with your life at all and it's just it's going to be so exciting and i'm pretty sure i'll come back on your show and talk about it and, oh yeah uh, yeah this isn't goodbye with ami i'm always going to be a part of AMI because I've been here since 2000, uh, 2016, 17. It's been, it's been a long time, so I, I can't just leave, but I definitely will be not in the community report part. But uh, if I could quickly say uh, a quick 30 seconds. Please thank do. You, you've, uh, you've got, you've got over, you've got at least uh, 90 seconds here if you want to take it. <laughs> I'd like to say a huge thank you to the best boss I could ever have regarding the, being a community reporter. And that is Marianne Dean Jones. She is amazing. Absolutely love her. She, her and Jim Crisco approached me to take this role back in 2017. Also, a huge thank you goes out to the producers of this show. For our audience who doesn't know, when you get connected to AMI-TV and you're about to talk to Dave, we can hear the countdowns. You know, you're 10 seconds to air, 15 seconds to air. There's a lot of people behind the scenes that are making sure the show runs great. Thank you so much to those amazing people. And above all, uh, thank you to Andy Frank and the whole entire AMI uh, community family, Accessible Media Inc., uh, AMI-TV, I'm sure AMI-TLA to a certain degree, 
And just you, Dave, thank you so much for being a part of this. And above all, shout out to Mike Ross and Julita Gupto. Because when I started here, I was on live from Studio 5. Yeah, there have been a lot of people along the way who have uh, made this show what it is long before it was now with Dave Brown. And there were OGs <laughs> like Mike and Joita and Kevin Filippapile and Andy Frank. And of course, folks who are in the mix now like Paul and Marianne and Andrika and Bruce and Eliza and Grace and Sam and Daniel and Seb and so many more folks, Miriam. Manuel, so many folks along the way who've made this show great, but JR, you are one of those folks, and we've always been grateful for your input on these things. So as you said, it's not a full-blown goodbye. It's a see you later, because you've got some really important work to do and a really neat opportunity here. You are going to crush it, my friend, so keep up all the excellent work on YouTube. Keep up the excellent work on stage with the comedy, and best of luck as you're developing this TV show. It's not always an easy road, but it's one that I know you'll succeed in. Thank you so much. And, and above all, thank you so much to Kelly and company, uh, Ramia, for having me on their show a few times throughout these years. It's been amazing. Thank yeah. you, everybody. And uh, above all, take care of each other. Love one another. This world is full of love and you just got to find it. That's well put. That's J.R. Bjornsson. Last appearance as a community reporter from Red Deer, Alberta for us on Now with Dave Brown. But as mentioned, we'll get some more of J.R down the road in the future. Remember, if you want more information on uh, the things we cover, like, for example, links to walk-in clubs and yoga classes, ami.ca slash nowblog, ami.ca slash nowblog. Coming up after the break, we'll get to the regional news update with Mike Ross. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, AMI.ca, and the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the Slack messaging platform has some new accessibility updates. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech has those details for you. And then there's another edition of the weekly news quiz with Karen McGee, Mark Phoenix, and myself being put to the test by Mike Ross before Mike Ross can do the regional news updates. Yeah, what could be a preview of next week's news quiz? Exactly. Or some of the content, right? You got so to listen to you got to listen to every word Mike Ross says because it could pop up in the news quiz. Wow, that's something I don't hear around the house very often. I have to listen to everything you say. <laughs> Not a chance. All right, we're beginning, Dave, in British Columbia. Uh, conservationists say a sunken boat leaking, leaking fuel on the U.S. side of the Harrow Strait shouldn't pose a high risk to migrating salmon, though that could depend on the cleanup process. Misty McDuffie of Raincoast Conservation Foundation says sockeye returning to the Fraser River will swim deeper than the fuel on the ocean's surface. However, she says if dispersants are used to break up the slick into droplets, the toxins may spread through the water column and pose a danger to the salmon. The U.S. Coast Guard says divers are at the site of the sunken vessel off San Juan Island, which was carrying 10,000 liters of fuel, and they're working to secure vents so the tanks can be emptied. Vancouver police say they've launched an investigation to identify who is responsible for threatening flyers distributed throughout the downtown east side this weekend. Police say in a news release the flyers threatened to burn tents with gasoline and propane if people don't leave the encampment within seven days. They say the flyers also include threats against Insight 
the supervised injection site near the intersection of Main and Hastings Streets. Acting Housing Minister Murray Rankin said last week, the province informed city officials there is not enough housing available for people who've been ordered to remove their tents from the area. To the prairies next, and good morning, Manitoba. Bell MTS is reporting its internet and TV services have been restored after a widespread outage that affected users across the province. The outages began yesterday afternoon, but a Bell MTS spokesperson said shortly before 6 p.m., all services should have returned. The spokesperson advised anyone still experiencing issues to unplug their internet modems or TV receivers and then plug them back in after a few minutes. That's a tried and true, <laughs> tested, <laughs> engineered trick of the business. Trust me, I've been hearing that for 25 plus years in Radio Dave. Plug I, it, unplug it, plug it back in. I did that yesterday. I was having trouble with my monitor at the office. A little uh, unplug and replug, a little reboot of the computer. Boom, monitor working just fine. The, the clock in my uh, in my bedroom, it connects my phone to, uh, through Bluetooth. But sometimes it just doesn't pair. Unplug the clock, plug it back in, and we're paired again. So oh, magic. It's funny how that works. Uh, Bell MTS did not say what caused the outages. To Ontario, that province proposing to give education workers represented by the Canadian Union of Public Employees who make less than $40,000 a 2% raise this year. For workers who earn over that amount, the government proposes giving them a raise of 1.25% each year over a four-year deal. CUPE has published the government's first offer to them in contract negotiations, which Education Minister Stephen Lecce says in a statement is reasonable, fair, and provides stability. CUPE has asked the province for annual wage increases of 11.7% or $3.35 per hour, arguing workers' wages have been restricted over the last decade and inflation is expected to rise further. And finally, to the Atlantic region, health officials in New Brunswick are modernizing the province's medical laboratory services. Health Minister Bruce Fitch says the labs need to be better connected to improve turnaround times. Fitch says the province's primary reference lab will be located at the Dr. Georges L. Dumont Hospital in Moncton. He says access to lab services will still be offered at every hospital, and a working group will be established to design a transportation system for lab samples. And finally, the supervisor of the Halifax Public Gardens says some of the top mines in arboriculture are working to save nearly 30 historic trees that were damaged by vandals three weeks ago. Last month, a security guard at the gardens discovered that strips of bark had been removed from around the trunks of many trees, most of which are between 50 and 200 years old. Sean Street, horticulture supervisor for the gardens, says the cuts appeared to have been done with a hatchet or small axe, and they resulted in more than $350,000 in damage. Four of the 32 damaged trees were not salvageable, and Street says it may take years to know if attempts to save the remaining 28 trees are going to be successful. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the hour for the news quiz, but for now, let's bring in Jeff Ryman for a sports chat.
Jeff, I hope you don't take this as me poking fun at you, but if I were to power rank some of the most common Jeff Ryman-isms, most common Jeff Ryman expressions when we're talking sports, one is depth and another is inconsistency. And if there's something we can say about the Team Canada World Junior Hockey Team, depth and inconsistency are two things they uh, definitely embody. Very deep roster, and those games they play are very up and down. Oh, Dave, uh, you are spot on. The depth, I lo- I, I just love this. Thank you for uh, bringing this up. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yes, there's lots of depth, and the inconsistency is going to drive people nuts, most likely. Uh, but I guess it's kind of to be expected. It's kind of the territory with junior players we see in college sports, too. The inconsistency is usually there, no matter how good or high pro- profile these athletes are. Um, but yesterday was another perfect example of, of Team Canada looking really good, then not so good, and then kind of looking good again. It was all over the place, Dave. Uh, they did beat Finland 6-3, so that is uh, good news for uh, for the Canadians. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they were up, uh, I think it was 5-1 at one point, and then they just went on a streak of taking stupid penalties. Oh, and so really many came... penalties last night. They took so many penalties. Yeah, I mean, there at one point they were uh, it was a five on three. There was a kneeing five minute kneeing call, and then right near the end of the game, when things were getting really tight, I think it was five three at this it was. point. Yep. William Dufour took a dumb penalty. Like I just I saw it coming from a mile away. Uh, he stopped skating, and right when he stopped skating, I'm like he's going to take a tripping penalty. And what does he do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, reaches out and gets a uh, tripping penalty. Uh, he did make up for it because he scored, uh, you know, the sixth goal, which kind of put the icing on the cake for Team Canada. But still, if you're Dave Cameron, the uh, head coach of Team Canada, you, you kind of have to be a, a little bit upset with the uh, performance, especially with, maybe not the performance, more so the discipline, because yeah. they did play well, especially in that second period. But the discipline is really holding Team Canada back, I think, uh, quite a bit, especially late in games. This is not the first game, I believe, against Latvia as well. They took a bunch of penalties in that third period. They were on the penalty kill for about half of the the, the last period there. And uh, head coaches... Not going to be too happy about that, Dave. It's one of these things, Jeff, where ultimately they went undefeated in the preliminary rounds. They looked largely quite good. They were dominant over the majority of the teams they played. So at a certain point, folks may accuse us of of picking, right? Like really picking at stitches here, as opposed to necessarily saying, oh, they were dominant. They're going to win this tournament. But you point out the fact they're taking terrible penalties. That, and they've done that a couple times in this preliminary round. And something that you identified right after the first game against Latvia, and we've continued to see throughout the tournament, is even when they are going on the power play, yes, they're scoring power play goals, but they're also giving up so many shorthanded opportunities. There's something sloppy going on at those at that blue line that is allowing teams to have fast breaks against them. These are little things that maybe Czechia or Slovakia or even to a certain degree Finland is not going to punish you for. The Swedes or the Americans are going to punish you for that. Yeah, the Swedes and the Americans are, uh, you know, up there. Although Sweden only beat Germany 4-2 yesterday. <laughs> your, your, uh, Germans, <laughs> your Germans are surging. I, I just had to squeeze that one in there, Dave. <clears throat> but 
you're right. I mean, against the USA, they were undefeated in their pool. The only way these two teams can meet is if they uh, meet in a medal game, either the bronze medal game or the gold medal game. Uh, but you're right. I mean, you're, you're going to have to pick up that discipline because it really hampered things. I mean, they were up 5-1 and it looked like it was, ah, this game's pretty much over. But a couple goals, a couple extra power plays, a huge power play with a, a, actually a great penalty kill. I will say that on that five minute major. Yeah, but yeah. nonetheless, it's something you don't want to get in the habit of because that is going to burn you, like you said, with some of those more uh, uh, high profile teams such as U.S. And, and Sweden. Yesterday, we talked about maybe the dampening enthusiasm around an August tournament with some of the black clouds swirling around this tournament as well. I would say watching the game last night, Jeff, I suppose there was the meaningfulness of it. I suppose the fact that this was the biggest test Canada faced. You could actually hear it in the crowd. There was something being ramped up there, and it really leads me to believe that tomorrow is going to be a very exciting day at this tournament. Yeah, it's a great observation. And actually, I sort of poked fun at it with my my friends in our group chat. I said, hey, there's actually fans <laughs> in Edmonton today. Like, it wasn't a packed house, but there were definitely a lot more fans than there were against Latvia or Czechia or Slovakia. So I think people are starting to warm up to the fact that there is hockey in the middle of the summer. And again, uh, you know, a team like Finland is one of those teams that, you kind of want to go see because they've got some great players. It was a great matchup. And I suspect, and I was talking with Brock Richardson as well, uh, that I, I think the deeper that Canada makes it, if they make it to the semis and then the gold medal game, oh yeah, I think, I think you know, it's, it's going to catch the attention of a lot more Canadians. I don't think it's going to catch the attention as, as, as much as during the winter over the Christmas break. But I think, you know, things are definitely starting to ramp up and you can definitely see that with uh, the amount of people in the in, in attendance yesterday a best case scenario in the final four is going to involve a canada versus sweden and a finland versus usa semifinal that day in edmonton will be lit and that will lead right into the finals that's that's the best case scenario yes we'd love the cinderella stories of the latvias or the germany's to uh, to make a run here or the switzerland's to make a run but the reality is we want the big four in the final four and that's going to make for a really exciting semi-final and a really exciting final let's be clear if there's a canada usa final that place is going to be sold out and there's going to be buzz there's just no doubt about it that is the canada and the usa at the world junior tournament has become the matchup even more so than russia even more so than sweden even more so than finland that is the matchup because the united states is just producing so many high level skaters right now that they're the only team who can really skate with canada and in fact i would say they skate better than canada so that's the matchup people want that's the final four people want and the passion will just keep creeping up as the week moves along jeff where passion is somewhat faltering The Toronto Blue Jays are in flutter mode right now. They're still in a playoff spot, but there's a different bird working its way into the nest, and that's the Baltimore Orioles. Another win last night in Toronto. They go at it again today. The grasp is getting pretty tenuous for those Blue Jays and their talons. Yeah, and yesterday they were in the top spot in that wild card position today they find themselves in the third position of that wild card spot so they're still okay as of right now but still only a game and a half above those baltimore orioles so huge huge matchup and just looking at the stats all the way around dave 
Nobody is producing. Um, you know, in, in terms of over the last seven days or the last seven games, uh, the Toronto Blue Jays as a whole are hitting 215. Can't do it. Not not gonna win you many games. And on the flip side, the pitching, they haven't been much better. I mean, you're you're I'm looking at uh even Alec Manoa, uh Gossman, Kikuchi, these guys aren't producing at all. And as a collective pitching unit, their ERA is well above five over the last seven games. Again, not going to win you a, a bunch of <laughs> not, games. not scoring, not pitching well. And the team was very poor fielding the ball last night, too. A couple of yeah. errors early in the game. It's just like a, a perfect storm of of not per, uh, not playing well, you know. And so they have to figure it out. It, it really is a, a, a little bit... Um, I guess upsetting for for Jays fans to to see them play like this because we're used to see, like last year was such a phenomenal year uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays, especially having two guys in the MVP conversation, a guy in the Cy Young conversation, um, and you know everything was looking up and up, and it's just. But again, again, Dave, here's your favorite word. The inconsistency has been there. <laughs> I knew it. The I knew we'd get there. <laughs> it's been there all season long, and I think this is a perfect example. I think that they'll they'll be able to uh, flock their way out of this, but I just, you know, right now it's a little bit frustrating to see them do this poorly and against uh, some teams that are really tailing on them, including the Baltimore Orioles. And then, like we mentioned yesterday, they've got more in-division rivalries coming up yep. with the Yankees, yep. who are speaking themselves, who are not doing so well, and then they got the Boston Red Sox. So very big games, and they need to figure this out quick. Otherwise, they're going to be looking on the outside looking in. Yeah, two more against the Orioles here tonight, and tomorrow I'm going to the game tomorrow afternoon. Very, very excited. Going to get a couple nice. hot dogs in my gullet. Jeff, thank you for this. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Dave. That's Jeff Ryman. He's at the AMI Sports Desk talking about depth and inconsistency. If you had that on your Jeff Ryman bingo card, you are indeed ahead of the game. Let's go over to Grace Scofield. She has the National Weather Update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where there's a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 25 degrees. In Charlottetown, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 24 degrees. Some matching weather over in St. John, where there's a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 24 degrees. Over in Quebec City, it's sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon as well, with a high of 27 degrees. In Toronto, it's sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon as well, with a high of 28 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, it's mainly sunny today, with a high of 25 degrees. Today in Brandon, Manitoba, it's mainly cloudy, with a 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm, with a high of 26 degrees. In Regina, it's sunny early this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers later in the morning and a risk of a thunderstorm this morning as well, with a high of 29 degrees. It continues to be very warm over in Lethbridge, Alberta, where it's sunny with a high of 33 degrees. Oof, that's a hot day in Lethbridge. 
In Red Deer, Alberta, sunny this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers late this afternoon, with a risk of a thunderstorm late this afternoon as well, and a high of 27 degrees. So no more tanning for JR today. No more. (laughs) In Whitehorse, it's clearing up early this morning, with some increasing cloudiness late this afternoon, and a high of 19 degrees. In Kelowna, BC, it's going to clear up early this morning, and there will be a high of 32 degrees today. And in Vancouver, BC, clearing early this morning with a high of 25 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, the Slack messaging platform has new accessibility updates. Nelson Rago of Cool Blind Tech has those details. But first, investors are pouring money into the metaverse. Here's Daria Albinger with Tech Trends. Were you to ask any two companies about what they're building on the internet, odds are they would be entirely dissimilar. Matthew Ball is author of the new book, The Metaverse and How It Will Change Everything. He says this year has seen some major metaverse investments. For context, McKinsey and Company estimates that there was $120 billion in investment by tech by private equity companies and by venture capitalists in the first five months of this year. Those range from investments in virtual reality and artificial intelligence companies to Microsoft acquiring video game company Activision Blizzard in January. We see such wide investment in the metaverse because it requires new forms of devices, new software languages. With Tech Trends, I'm Daria Albinger, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in the founder of Cool Blinds Tech, Nelson Rago, to talk about what's happening in the world of accessible technology. Nelson is in Edmonton, Alberta. Hey, good morning, Nelson. Hey, good morning, Dave. So let's jump into your first story. The messaging app Slack has released some new accessibility updates. So what have they improved in terms of keyboard navigation? Uh, One of the... uh main changes they made with the keyboard because there's uh, actually quite a few uh, keyboard navigation uh, that um, blind and partially sighted users can use is uh, the F6 and the tab keys. Uh, so for example, uh, the F6 uh, would be utilized uh, um, to be able to uh, change the uh, the focus of the uh, of where you're going uh, within sections or sorry between sections and then the uh, the tab key allows you to uh, navigate uh, within the, those sections. So uh, they, they've simplified it uh, for those, um, uh, and this is, I think, for Windows users. And then for the Mac, um, they'll, uh, they have enabled the, uh, the command control uh, in addition of the uh, left and right arrow uh, to do the, the same sort of uh, navigation on the, uh, the Slack app. What about for people who like to use a screen reader? So, so one of the, this is a major, uh, actually, update for accessibility. So they've actually redesigned the interface of the app. So there, there was a lot of uh, extra info that was displayed before. So they've they've actually simplified and, and made it easier for uh, blind users to actually navigate uh, the app. So there isn't too much information that the, they're taking in and just the information that they need. Uh, so that's the, that's the main change they made uh, for uh, uh, screen reader users that are interfacing with the, uh, the app itself. Yeah, knock out the clutter, right? It just stands to reason. Knock out the yep. clutter on screen. Give me the information I need. It's going to be easier for me to use voice over tech. Exactly. Yeah. What about a customization 
Uh, or what kind of freedom does the user have to do a customization within the app or within the platform to meet their needs? Yeah, so so they've added some uh, uh, new uh, preferences. Uh, so, for example, a, a blind user, may, they might want the uh, the sidebar uh, always on. So they've enabled that so that uh, uh, that user can leave that on. Um, and then there's a couple other features as well that they've been able to uh, uh, as well. So that's but that's uh, one uh, feature that uh, they've enabled. And in terms of uh, when this is going to be released, is it already available? Uh, initially, it was supposed to come out on the 10th, and then um, they ended up releasing it. Uh, I haven't checked recently, but uh, it's actually supposed to be yesterday that this is supposed to be out. Uh, so I, I would check your, your your updates in Slack to see if uh, you got that uh, um, notification to push up for your updates on your device. Right on. Okay, let's move on to a different piece of technology. Let's talk about Waymo. Autonomous driving technology has added new accessibility features to their autonomous taxis. We've got four to walk through, so let's begin with the first one. Yeah, this is something that uh, is near and dear to me because uh, <laughs> I want this to happen sooner than later. <laughs> it's a little bit uh, tough relying on other people to give you rides all the time. So, uh, but uh, the um, the dome on they're calling it a robo taxi, um, but the dome on top is uh, and this would be for uh, partially sighted users uh, or that, that are using the service. Uh, so you'll have your initials on, on top of the dome as it gets uh, uh, relatively close to where you're where you're at. Uh, there's also a, an identification ID for the vehicle itself. Uh, where you can customize the uh, the letters themselves um, as far as the, the colors. So it gives you a couple of different options. Uh, it's not 100% uh, uh, you know foolproof, but uh, you know it's it's better than just sort of walking into a taxi that uh, you shouldn't have been in to begin with. When we say autonomous taxis, these are self-driving taxis. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So, so uh, they're actually doing this in, uh, I think it's Phoenix, uh, Arizona. It's, uh, last time I checked, uh, I'm sure they're doing a bunch of uh, tests uh, through different others, other cities. But uh, uh, from from what I've been reading, uh, Phoenix has been consistently uh, uh, running these taxis, uh, the service for quite some time. So, what are some of the other features that they're offering here to improve the accessibility experience? Uh, so uh, another feature that uh, they've enabled is uh, an obvious one. I, I'm surprised they didn't have this. Is turn by turn navigation, and not not the turn by turn that you would have while you were in the car, uh, but the turn by turn actually from where you're standing to where the vehicle is. So from you getting uh, you know to your location to where the the, the vehicle is ready to pick you up. Uh, so they've enabled that. Uh, there's also another feature. Um, it's more of a compass uh, feature. It's like a d- distance to uh, uh, to the vehicle. Uh, which complements the uh, the GPS because you know GPS doesn't always uh, work all the time and it's not the most accurate uh, depending on where you're at. So it uh, it utilizes the the compass on your phone and then it communicates to you uh, with the turn by turn instructions to get to, to the vehicle. So that, that, uh, and then, th- that's one that I yeah. would appreciate. There's so many times yeah. <laughs> when uh, I get the little notification on my phone, I've arrived. I uh, know you haven't. Where are you? Oh well, I'm around the corner. Yeah, uh, so it's 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 something that uh, you know I, I've never used the service. I, I've seen videos on it. Uh, I mean, it it seems like it's pretty cool uh, when I've seen the demos on it. Um, but you know, the, the fact that the, they're thinking about uh, different abilities is uh, is a pretty neat uh, perspective on things because uh, you know eventually when that rolls out to Canada, hopefully in in our area, then that. Uh, 
you know, they'll work out many of the bugs that they're, uh, they're going through now in the, in the States. Nelson, any other accessibility features you want to highlight here before we move on? Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of what the, the, the fourth one here is. Let, let me just quickly look here. Have it. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't, uh, they weren't listed for me here, so I can't help you. I can't, I can't pull you out of this ditch. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I had it here in my car, little, here. little car humor. You know what, Nelson? Oh, go, yeah, oh, go, ahead. Right go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so, so they they'll actually emit a melodic chime. Uh, I put the YouTube link on on the CBT website. Uh, so instead of the typical sort of horn, uh, I'm not sure if you guys can grab that, but uh, it just gives sort of a sort of melodic a, a melodic uh, sound. Uh, so it's a very pleasant sound uh, that you can hear uh, while the vehicle is uh, calling out for you. Very good. Nelson, let's move on to your tech tip here. Last week, we were talking about unsending text messages after maybe we erroneously or erroneously hit send. This time, yeah. you want to give us a tech tip in regards to deleting duplicate photos in iOS 16. Yeah, I was, I was just uh, testing this out on, on my phone uh, the other day. Um, I've always been leery about it because there's a lot of uh, family uh, stuff in there. And I, I've tried using third-party apps uh, to, you know, some limited uh, success uh, because, you know, a lot of them aren't very accessible. Uh, believe it or not, that they don't actually think about blind people when they're, <laughs> when they're updating uh, photo apps uh, on uh, devices. Uh, but Apple's got it actually built in. Um, so instead of having a, a separate piece of uh, software, uh, if you go to Photos and then scroll down to, um, uh, to, the, uh, to the Albums tab, and then from there, I usually navigate by header because there's a lot to go through. Uh, you could find the utilities area, and there uh, you could find uh, duplicates. So yeah, so you tap on duplicates, and in my case, uh, I found uh, 7,000 uh, pictures and videos that were uh, duplicates, uh, which you know takes up a lot of space on on, uh, on iCloud uh, Drive. So uh, in my in my case, I selected all, and then I uh, just um, uh, select merge and then it will uh, remove the, all the duplicated uh, videos and then there's another option as well uh, that has a similar videos and pictures but different uh, metadata so it'll give you that option as well if you want to uh, get rid of similar pictures uh, you know something when you do like a burst or something uh, you can have like five or six pictures that are all the same so uh, it gives you that option as well uh, to actually do that and, it, and it's very easy to to do and uh, I haven't checked with anyone to see how well it worked, but uh, I, I've, I've definitely uh, you know, lightened the load on my uh, iCloud drive. Nice. Saving that saving that space in the cloud, my friend. More room yeah, for and this more is stuff. For, yeah, and this is for iOS 16, so, so don't check now because you're not going to have it. So, uh, but uh, probably in the next few weeks when Apple comes out uh, with their new devices, uh, iOS 16 users will be able to uh, utilize that feature in the, in the uh, Photos app. Very good. Nelson, thank you for this. We'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Take that's Nelson Rego. He is the founder of Cool Blind Tech. Let's head over to Grace Scofield on the other side of the glass. Grace, there's always interesting stuff dropping in the world of AMI-audio podcasts. We have quite the menu available for folks. What's coming down today? Dropping today is a new episode of the AEBC Triple Vision podcast. The episode continues Triple Vision's deep dive into the difficult questions surrounding employment and unemployment rates of blind Canadians. 
You'll hear from special guests Vic Pereira, Marcy Yale, and David Best. And you can find this podcast, the Triple Vision Podcast, on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tune into the AMI Podcast Roundup every Saturday at 9 p.m. Very good, Grace. Thank you for this. Coming up after the break, you'll hear from Grace yet again when we have the Entertainment Report. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We finished the last segment with Grace Scofield. Let's start this segment with Grace and the Entertainment Reports. Grace, you've got a story from the world of apologies today. I do. About 50 years ago, Shasheen Littlefeather took the stage at the Academy Awards to not accept an award on behalf of Marlon Brando. And they now, the Academy of Awards has issued an apology to her for the criticism, the boos, the jeering, all of those little things that she endured during that speech um, 50 years later, which is actually really good on their part. It happened in 1973. It was held during the American Indian Movement's two-month occupation of Wounded Knee in South Dakota. So in the years since, Little Feather has said she's been mocked, discriminated against, and personally attacked for her brief Academy Awards appearance. In making the announcement, the Academy Museum shared a letter sent June 18th to Little Feather by David Rubin, Academy president, about that moment. Uh, since then, Little Feather has said, it's a, quote, profoundly heartening to see how much has changed since I did not accept the Academy Award 50 years ago, end quote. And she also says that she felt there should be an inclusion of everyone, again, quote, a rainbow of people that should be involved in creating their own image, end quote. So all in all, Little Feather is very excited to see these changes and happy to have had the apology. And she will be speaking at an event next year, next month about it. There we go. We have the apology and it's also probably still one of the most famous Oscars moments ever. So yes. it'll be, it'll remain in history. And now the apology has been granted. Grace, thank you for this. Of course. That's Grace Scofield with your entertainment report. Let's bring in Nizreen Abdelmajid to find out what's trending. Nizreen, what's happening out there on social media? Dave, you already know that I'll take any chance I get when it comes to music to talk about. So we're talking about Elvis Presley today, the king of rock and roll, his birthday today. So 45 years ago today, we lost an icon. And to celebrate his birthday, the Rolling Stone asked their readers uh, to vote for their favorite Presley song. And I want to share the results with you and get your reaction on the 10 top songs uh, of their, you know, everybody's favorites for their okay. votes. Okay, all right, so hold on. So, let's, let's let's work on this together. Let's do this together. Number yes. 10. Mystery Train. Okay, not really mm -hmm. familiar with it. Number 9. Kentucky Rain. Also not super familiar with it. Number 8. An American Trilogy. Wow, I apparently don't know any Elvis songs. Number 7. Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, that one I know. That's a jam. That, that one still okay. slaps to this day. Number yeah. five, uh, number six. Love Me Tender. Oh, now we're, that was see, now we're talking about the that good stuff good here. One. Now we're going right into the feels, yes. right into the cockles of my heart. Let's go with number five. 
Can't Help Falling in Love, oh, one of my favorites. Yeah, beautiful. That should be number one. Okay, so for the first three that were fairly anonymous, now we're getting to the love songs. Now we're getting to yes. the good stuff. Number four. Jailhouse Rock. Okay, yeah, another gem that slaps to this day still. <laughs> number three. In the Ghetto. Oh, that's kind of a lovely one too. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, a bit more of a bit more of a downer vibe. Like not really a love song. Mm. This is a downer vibe song. A little social yes. commentary by Mr. Presley. Number mm. two. If I can dream. You know what? I think Are you I would. Familiar with I that? think I would need to hear that one. I think I would need yeah. to hear that one. There's some songs that you just you need to hear it, and then you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's for yeah. sure, for sure. And number yeah. one. Suspicious minds. Also not super familiar so, with that one. So I want your opinion. What's number one for you out of well, this list? Well, I'm still waiting to hear uh, I'm All Shook Up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And what about Hound Dog? Where's Hound Dog? That's, I mean, Seriously. again, maybe I'm maybe I'm somewhat picking the uh, the, the the mainstream pop jams here because yeah. you know Elvis died before I was born, so I've only been I'm not really like deep onto the deep cuts. Right. Yeah, but like this is a it's not even a top five; it's a top ten. So I'm uh, disappointed with this pick, but. Love Me Tender, Can't Help Falling in Love. That should be, like, number one and two for me. Yeah, the, the, I mean, again, these were listener, these were reader-generated, so, you know, you, you can't argue with democracy. Sometimes people will, uh, will, will will kick up their democracy. I personally enjoyed the point in Elvis's career somewhere between, like, rock star Elvis and fat Elvis. Sort of in the middle, he was really mailing it in. Uh, I encourage someone to head over to their YouTube machine today and just punch in Elvis Clambake, where the entire song is him just dancing around singing, gonna have a clam bake, gonna have a clam bake, gonna have a clam bake. And like, that's the whole song. And it's like, spectac- I see that. it's like spectacularly bad, totally phoning it in. But, uh, you know, scantily clad people, even back in the 1960s, uh, works for me. And Nazreen, we got to get out of here. Thank you for this. You got it. That's Nazreen Abdelmajid letting you know what's trending. Let's bring in Ramya Amuthan to find out what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. I uh, also was did not know the top two Elvis songs. Yeah, I'm 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 going to have to do some listening after the show, kind of like our three LW mm-hmm. talk last week, where I'm sure I'm going to hear a couple chords and be like, oh yeah, that song. But off the top of my head. No, not there. Not happening. So uh, we'll do a little Elvis research after the show. I also still have to go see that movie. It's uh, still playing at the VIP cinema around the corner from the office. And I've been meaning to go. But every day it's at like 5 p.m. And not to to reveal too much here, by 5 p.m. every day, I'm home. I'm not hanging around to go see a movie at 5. 3 o'clock show. Now we're in Mm -hmm. the Dave Brown range. That's your evening. but But the problem is if I go see a movie at 3 p.m., I miss Kelly and company. So what's coming up at 2 p.m. Eastern today? That's very true. All right. We're talking to community reporter Kim Thistle. She's highlighting the Bake Apple Folk Festival in St. John's, Newfoundland. You know, we were over there and they're super creative with their summer festival. So we're always looking forward to what she's bringing to us. It's so fun. Uh, Young Wang, who is back for her second monthly segment. She's today going to talk about her recent learnings regarding lawns and outdoor aesthetics and uh, native plants and all these different things and how it loops back into diverse backgrounds like our cultural influences 
ideas on um, how we maintain our gardens and our lawns. And then this conversation is going to be fun. If you want to make big bucks eating candy, Dave, then you (laughs) have an opportunity with Candy Funhouse. They're the North America's largest online candy retailer, and they're looking on, uh, looking and on the hunt for the world's first and only chief candy officer. Oh man! Oh man! (laughs) CCO, put me in the C-suite. The CCO. That would be. (laughs) Anyways, I'm just getting like a mini stomachache even thinking about it, but I'm so down. Be bad for for my bad for my belt line, bad for my uh, blood sugar, bad for everything. But that sounds like a gig that I could do. Uh, The the mattress company Casper last week put out a call looking for uh, professional nappers. I think if people could like professionally nap and test some of their mattresses, I. uh, Definitely found oh, that I would one appealing too. Totally take too. that over candy CCO. <laughs> I mean, I would do both. I mean, can I? You know, in this yeah. in this in this era Wake of side candy, hustles, go back to sleep. yeah, in this era of side hustles, can I do both? I think I could probably do yeah. both. You know, yeah. chief candy officer, eat a couple gummy bears, take a nap. We're uh, we're making moves. I think we could tell the difference on now with Dave Brown though once you start taking these side gigs. I mean, probably. your energy levels. Uh, I mean, well, yeah, if I'm getting so. if if my side gig is napping, I mean, I'm already doing that every afternoon anyway. So we're already we're already ahead of the game, Ramya. Uh, Ramya. I got to get out of here. You have yourself a great day. All right. Talk to you tomorrow. That's Ramya and within the co-host of Kelly and Company coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up after the break, it's weekly news quiz time. The whole crew back together. Myself, Karen McGee, Mark Phoenix with Mike Ross at the Quizmaster Helm. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. During the break, I went to the Spotify machine and I looked up Suspicious Minds by Elvis. And yes, I do indeed love you too much, baby. So yeah, definitely famous Elvis song. Interesting name. I like that the name doesn't really apply to the song. Well done. It's the weekly news quiz, baby. (laughs) Hello, Mike. Song by Dwight Yoakam. Uh, Mike, we lost the front end of that. You have to, you have to, you have to reapply. I think you know "Suspicious Mind" tune by Dwight Yoakam because he did that song. Okay, so that's probably where you've actually heard it. In any event, welcome to the news quiz. It's good to be back, and our news quiz is, as always, three rounds of questions with week three multiple choice options. If our contestants can hear uh, answer the question correctly without hearing the options, they get two points. If they need to hear the options get it right, they get one point. It's awarded. Paul Daniel put together the quiz. He also spun the endemizing contestant wheel. And contestant number one was from Toronto. Hi, Mark. Good morning, Mike. Karen McGee is in Morrisburg, Ontario. She will go second. Hi, Dave. The line "Suspicious Minds" is actually in the song. I'm stuck on that. Sorry, I bumped okay. on that. That's okay. We can't go on together with "Suspicious Minds." I'm, I'm just saying. It's just one of these things, Karen. I I can't keep track of gray matter in my brain. And Dave will be going third in round one. So here we go. Round number one. Question one goes to Mark. Mark, which Asian capital received more than eighteen to evening? Flooding subway stations and killing at least 13 people. 
Gee, that's horrifying. Um, I'm going to have to take the options. Seoul or Bangkok? Hmm. You know what? I'm going to go with Seoul. And you got yourself a point. The downpour exceeded the highest hourly downpour measured in Seoul since record-keeping began in 1907. Let's go to Karen next. Karen, members of the Democratic Party in the U.S. of its Inflation Reduction Act One provision was blocked by Senate Republicans that would have imposed a $35 monthly cap on the cost of which Insulin. You got it. Insulin it was. Only seven Republicans voted with the Democrats on that, leaving the measure three required. Dave, 40% of which island nation's main fuel storage facility was destroyed in a fire? Oh, goodness. I need the options, please. Your options are Sri Lanka, Cuba, or New Zealand. Cuba. The port city of Matanzas, where fuel, oil, and diesel are stored in 10 huge tanks and mainly used to generate electricity on the island. So round one comes to an end both on the board with one point each. Karen, it was announced, yes, Anita Neville would be appointed as the next Lieutenant Governor for what Canadian province? Ooh, I'll take the choices. Your options are New Brunswick, Manitoba, or Nova Scotia. New Brunswick. That is incorrect. Dave, Manitoba. Neville will be the first Jewish lieutenant governor of Manitoba and the third woman to hold the position. She was the MP for Winnipeg South Center from and been opposition critic for Indigenous Affairs and the Status of Women. I'm so very Dave happy that Karen. I'm very happy that Karen can't read lips because I definitely said Manitoba. My mic was off, but the camera <laughs> definitely popped on I me. I see you bouncing. I wasn't watching your face. I was looking at saying which it's, was your giveaway. It's always best not to look at my face. <laughs> All right. Well, let's hope the camera's not on. Let's hope the camera's not on Karen on this question for Dave, because she'll definitely be bouncing because she'll be upset. Here's here we go. Dave, what news personality announced yesterday? She was no longer a member of CTV news. Lisa Laflamme. That's another two points for Dave. I can feel the ire of Karen right now. I can just (laughs) feel it down the line Uh, in a video. It's a randomizing wheel, everybody. And by Laflamme, the longtime news anchor and journalist said she had been notified her contract with CTV National News had ended or was being ended. She called Bell Media's decision sudden and unexpected. So four points now for Dave. And we go to Mark. Mark, explosions at a base in Russia, dozens of buildings and at least eight Russian jets, according to satellite photos. Where was that base? Hmm. I've been hearing about a bit, a bit about explosions in various Russian-held territories, so I'm going to guess the one in question is Crimea. And you got yourself two points. That's correct. A senior Ukrainian official has said the blasts were an attack carried out with the help of part- and the Ukrainian military has not publicly acknowledged any involvement. So after the second round of questioning, Dave... Into the lead with four points. Mark in second place with three points. And Karen now in. Let's go to round three. Dave, Salman Rushdie, the acclaimed author, was hospitalized last Friday with serious injuries after being repeatedly stabbed during a public appearance in New York State. What book did Rushdie write 
that prompted Iran to put a bounty on his head in 1988. Ooh, I hope I get this right, but it's the Satanic Verses. Correct. Good job. I was going to, uh, I was going to try and throw people off with Satan's verses or the Devil's prose, along with the Satanic verses. But uh, yeah, you saw through my ruse. Nice job. <laughs> You're clever. Uh, to the Indian-born me. writer has lived with a bounty on his head since 1988, as Iran urged Muslims around the world to kill uh, the author. Amid the threats, he spent nine years in hiding under the protection of the British government well into the 1990s. Question uh, is, this one's for Mark. Mark, we're sticking with media people leaving their jobs. What prominent CNN personality announced he was leaving the news organization after 20 years? I think that was Jeffrey Tubin. About two more points. Wow. Nice. Wow. Jeffrey Tubin, indeed. And now, two, year, two years ago, he rejoined CNN as a legal analyst after stepping away briefly in the wake of a bit of a scandal as he exposed himself to colleagues during a Zoom call. He was also fired from the New Yorker magazine as a result of that incident. So we're going into our final question here, and it's for Karen. Karen, though, uh, has two points, so cannot catch any uh, of our top two players. Dave with six points, Mark with five. Let's see how Karen does with this. Serena Williams said last week she plans to retire from tennis after this year's U.S. Open. How many Grand Slam singles titles does she have? Ooh. 23. Wow. Yes. Wow. wow. I love that woman. One. Love that woman. Oh. <laughs> but I will yes, be writing Williams a strong, with... strong letter to a manager about all these questions because they were not fairly distributed. <laughs> I'll be writing. I'll be only speaking to a manager. <laughs> the vibe 23 Grand Slam singles titles, uh, one over the span of 18 years. She ranks as second in women's tennis. One short of Margaret Court, because but uh, uh, because many of Court's wins predate the modern era of pro tennis. Uh, some say that uh, eh, that's not really like the, the truly legit uh, number and that uh, Williams' legacy will not be tarnished by that as one of the greatest athletes of all time. Uh, our tie-breaking question, just for funsies here. Uh, Olivia Newton-John died last Monday at 73, famous for her role in Greece, starring as which character who transformed from a pigtailed square to a gum-smacking bad girl? Karen McGee. All right, Karen. Sandy. Sandy. Really? I am, yeah. I am definitely <laughs> writing to a manager somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, now she's become John McEnroe. I have a problem with the question. The question, <laughs> jerk. Uh-oh. Uh, yes, Newton-John played Sandy in Greece and sang some of the biggest pop hits of the 1970s and 80s. And that will bring to an end this week's news quiz. And our winner is... Dave Brown, six points, eking out the one-point victory over Mark's five points. Karen, I'm afraid that even with the bonus points there with the tie-breaking question, still fell short, but you fought hard. So congratulations, Dave. <laughs> because I won the news quiz, baby. Karen, you, you know, Dave, 
if you ever need a new career, you could always be an Elvis impersonator. You oh, got the energy. Oh, and I've got the guts. Mm-hmm. And I've got and the, the gut. I could definitely be fat Elvis. I could definitely eat, uh, what was it, the fried peanut butter and banana sandwiches. I could do some yeah. of that action. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I've got it. Have any, okay, we're going to go around the table. Karen, have you seen the new Elvis movie yet? The Elvis movie that's currently in theaters? I, I have not. Mark, have you seen the new Elvis theater that's currently in theaters? Uh, I have not, but uh, my wife and I are going to as soon as we can get it on streaming. It looks it looks good. It's currently available for digital rental. In fact, if you have uh, any kind of Amazon devices, I think it's like twenty four ninety nine for a digital rental. So yeah, it's a little pricey, but uh, not bad if you just want to watch it at home. Mike, what about you? Yeah. Have not seen it, but it is on the list. Um, okay, I'm going to go back in reverse order here. Have Mike, have you been back to the movie theater yet? I know we were talking about it before your vacation. You were thinking about it. Did you take the plunge? Been uh, a couple of times. Uh, Top Gun was the last one we went to. And uh, do you agree with Daniel Penamondo's assessment that it needs to be seen like eight times in theaters? Um, there are not a ton of movies that I've seen eight times in a theater, <laughs> uh, let alone more than twice. Um, but I will say this. If I had a bunch of friends who who hadn't seen it yet and said, "Hey, let's go see it," I would probably jump on board to see it for a Night second time. Town, for sure, for sure. Just okay. so good, like the, the sound, the sh- the seats shaking every time they hit the throttle on one of those jets is worth is worth the price of admission. See, there you go, Mike. Mike is in the Daniel camp, quasi sort of. <laughs> Mark, Karen, we gotta go, but you guys have a great day. Karen, we'll talk to you on Thursday. That's all the time we have for the show today. Until I talk to you again at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.